Now, we are going to be carrying on today um, our series, actually concluding a series. If you're visiting with us today, we're so glad you're here. And don't forget the cards on your chair, as well as being for information, are also, also cooling, primitive cooling devices. Before um, air conditioning was invented, there was a piece of cardboard. So feel free just to give a, a, a wave offering to the Lord if you get a little bit warm with that bit of card. Some of you feel the release right now. I can see things waving all over the room there. If you're visiting us for the first time today, we're so glad you're here. And we're in this series, series where we're talking about money. But I just want to underline we're not a church that always talks about money. But equally, we're not scared to talk about it because it's a part of people's lives. But what you've done is you've joined us today in a moment where we're taking three weeks to specifically look at what the Bible says about us handling finances. So we're so glad you're here. Please come back and see us again. And uh, we're going to be concluding this series today called Kingdom Economics. Also, you can have the notes of this message um, right now if you want them by going to Family Church app, Family Church website. And if you go to the section called Blogs and Resources, they've been released and uploaded right now, the uh, message notes from the last two weeks and today's. So I'm going to use a lot of verses today, so don't be worried about scribbling down verses all the time. You can go to the app and there's a worksheet from today that you can download. So Family Church app, website, all the notes are up there. I checked this morning, they're all up there live. So I want you to just sit and listen to what God's saying about this today. Now, we're looking at this series, one, to help us to understand about what the Bible says us handling our finances should look like, but also because of this thing that's in the air called financial crisis, you turn on the news, you turn on the media, and there's so much conversation about financial crisis, inflation, gas prices, fuel costs going up. That's really happening, but we shouldn't let fear into our hearts because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, a sound mind, and a spirit of faith where we trust in his word. So we approach the word of God not just for comfort, or encouragement, but also for instruction. Now, like I said, we're not teaching this as a church from any moment of lack that we find ourselves in, but rather from a sense of responsibility. When I sit there and I listen to the news and I hear them giving these bleak forecasts and these trendy economists telling you how it's all gonna go wrong, I feel a great responsibility as a spiritual leader to say, well, actually, God's been in every famine since the beginning of time. And he's carried his people through many times of crisis. And God is still God in the midst of this one. So we looked week one at kingdom stewardship. And then last week, we looked at the subject of tithing and the tithe. Thank you for feedback we got. My message last week blessed some people, totally irritated others. Don't mind that. Love a good reaction. Rather people were giving a reaction than not at all. But like I said last week is don't be quick to spit out what you think is bones. Because sometimes God will cause a scratching so that you dig deeper 
into his word. You know, sometimes, well, I eat the meat, spit out the bones. I don't know, I think sometimes a lot of goodness is spat out in bones that weren't bones. They were moments when you should have stopped and thought. And that's what we're doing in this. We're journeying this together. Now, the third key aspect of kingdom economics or kingdom economy is what we're going to look at today. And it's about giving, more specifically, the subject of sowing and reaping. We've looked at kingdom stewardship. We've looked at tithing and the tithe and how we should manage the tithe in our life. Remember, all of these previous messages are available on our website, YouTube, um, all over the place, uh, Facebook, so that you can go back and miss any that you might have missed. But when we talk about sowing and reaping, we're not talking about a moment, we're talking about a lifestyle. God doesn't want us to tithe one week in panic and never tithe again. He wants us to have a lifestyle of tithing in the same way when it comes to sowing and reaping. We don't have a moment where we did it once, but it's a continual in our lives. Now, sowing and reaping is actually um, an interesting lifestyle that has an interlocking relationship with the tithe. The tithe and the sowing and reaping work together in a plan that God invented for the well-being of our lives. So sowing and reaping is about putting seeds in the prepared ground that tithing has correctly provided for you to sow into. So when we tithe, that's like we bring the big machinery out of the barn and we prepare the soil. But prepared soil isn't going to produce much in your life. You need to put seed in prepared soil. So God has made an interlocking relationship between the tithe and the seed that we sow that will create harvests in our life when things are good or even when seasons are bad because the principles of God are not dependent upon the principles of the world. Now, the best way of understanding sowing and reaping, I think, is to give a simple look through the lens of a farmer because a farmer will teach us naturally the things that we can learn spiritually about this principle. Now, the natural world of farming and agriculture gives us the best visual example of a person that lives a life believing in the power of seed, time, and harvest. Let's look at these five things that a farmer would do. Number one, a farmer, a good farmer, would always prepare the soil. Number two, the farmer would then sow his seed in the prepared soil. Number three, the farmer waits for the soil to do what only the soil can do. Number four, the, the farmer then harvests the crop from the seed that he's sown. But then number five, if he's a wise farmer, means that he'll then take the best of his crop and he won't eat it as bread, but he'll save it as seed. Because otherwise he's a farmer who experienced one good harvest in his life. But a wise farmer always takes the best of his seed and leaves that for sowing into his tomorrow. Yet he eats for 90%, which is the bread of God's provision to his life. So a farmer can teach us a lot, hey? Of when God speaks to us of sowing and reaping, we can understand what that looks like. So sowing and reaping starts, I believe, with correctly separating 
the tithe and the seed. We've spoken last week about the tithe, the tenth, the first part, the first fruit. Today we're speaking about the seed. Now, they are two different components that work together in unison to bring us into God's plan of provision for our life. But they're different. The tithe and the seed are different components, all right? The tithe is the first fruits of your increase. The seed is whatever you choose to give beyond your tithe. Sometimes when I speak to Christians, they say, oh, I give all the time, I give all the time. I say, do you tithe? They say, I give all the time. I didn't ask you that. I asked, do you tithe? Because anything you give before your tithe is tithe, it's not seed. Seed is what you give beyond your tithe because tithe isn't given, it's returned to God because it belongs to him. So when we've tithed, then anything beyond the tithe is what we could call or consider seed. When the Bible speaks about sowing, it's seed. You don't sow your tithes. You bring your tithe to God's storehouse. Amen. Now, here's some good examples of good soil that I use in my life. I have a number of seeds going out from my life. Like I said last week, all of the pastors and key leaders in family church are people committed to tithing and giving. We won't ask people to do what we don't. Me and my family, we tithe off of everything that comes into our life. But then also, I have seeds going out. Some by direct debit. There's things that I support around the world. People doing good things. That's my seed, not my tithe. Other times, I always carry something in my pocket for when the Holy Spirit touches my heart. And I love to sow spontaneously. That's not my tithe, that's seed. Here's some good examples of soil that I use and the Bible speaks of. Number one, there's a, a soil that could be called arms, which is in some ways sowing down to the need of others. And that could involve widows, orphans, humanitarian needs. Whenever we give into Stellas, in many ways we're giving into this section called Arms, where we're giving our finances into practical humanitarian needs of people struggling. We don't give them our tithe, we give them seed. And there's many verses I've put in your notes there concerning how God loves it when we take care of the poor and needy. He actually says in one verse, and in your notes you can find these verses, but I love the one that says, he who gives to the poor lends to God. Isn't that awesome? He who gives to the poor, not tithes to the poor, gives to the poor, lends to God. I love that. Number two, missions and missionaries. We could look at Clarice a little bit, and we could look at Gabby a little bit for that section today. But you give into what God is doing through other people in different parts of the world. Number three, other ministries that inspire you, maybe evangelists, church planters. Now, when you watch Christian media, often you will sadly see people begging for your money. Sometimes they do that in a way that's non-manipulative. Other times it can be a little bit manipulative. But you never send your tithe to somebody on television or a guest ministry. Your tithe belongs in the local house that's your storehouse, but there's nothing stopping you sowing your seed 
into the needy, to the poor, to missionaries, to evangelists, to ministries that you appreciate, even churches you were once a part of. That makes sense? They don't get your tithe, they get your seat. And then also there's a principle that some live by, it's not so much in the Bible, though it is in different examples, you can always sew up. Sometimes you can see not just the needs below met by your giving, peer relationships through missions and missionaries. Sometimes I also, in my own life, I've seen things that I want to break through for in my life and in my family, and I've sewn into people that are walking in that breakthrough. Again, that's optional. The other three aren't. That one's optional, but it's often worked in my life when I've needed a breakthrough. I look for somebody living in the good of that breakthrough, and I've sown not my tithe, but my seed into it. All right. Now, when this is understood correctly, not only do we bless people with our seed, but we empower the church, the bride of Christ that we're a part of, to be meeting needs as well. See, if we take our tithe and sow it where we like, we actually rob the church of being able to respond to things in a big way whenever the church needs to. It's not a matter of either or, but rather both and. God wants his church sowing out of the tithe into the needs of people, but also he wants the believer walking ready to sow in their life as well. Everybody good? Now, God wants us to benefit from what's sometimes called the law of seed time and harvest. Um, it's something that God instituted and designed. Uh, it's another principle that carries on the other side of the cross. Some things stop this side of the cross because they're completed and fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Other things carry on beyond the cross because they're lifestyle and kingdom life. We know we don't murder, do we? We know that's wrong, right? You know, please let me know you know that's wrong. Adultery, we're not like, hey, let's go and have adultery. No, no. We know that certain things beyond the cross remain the lifestyle of God that he would have us to live. That includes the way we handle our finances. And in the midst of that is sowing. It's something that's initiated by God um, for us. But it's not a law as in a mosaic law, but a principle law. We, we speak of the law of gravity. What goes up? Most of you know it. I hope the others learn it before you find yourself in a situation where you need to understand the power of it. What goes up must come down. That's the law, the law of gravity. Now, the law of sowing and reaping isn't a mosaic law. It's a principle that works, that will keep working if you believe it. Or if you don't, it's a principle that God set in motion from the beginning of time. In your notes, you'll read about Adam and Eve. The first thing that God said to them in Genesis 1.28 was, be fruitful and multiply. God wanted them to live fruitful lives of multiplication. After the flood, what does God say to Noah? Genesis 9, 1 and 7, be fruitful and multiply. God's intention for his children isn't greed, but it is to be fruitful and multiply. The words they're used in the Hebrew are mean to bear fruit, to be fruitful, to bring forth increase. Uh, the Hebrew word for, for multiply is increase, excel, enlarge, be full. The same intention of original design for Adam is God's heart 
for you now that you've been restored in Christ. So God puts this law, this principle in motion that affects us naturally and spiritually and he wants it to be a benefit in our life, not a curse. He wants us to, like a farmer, use the principle of seed time and harvest for good, not for bad. But seed can be good and seed can be bad. Let's choose good seed. Now, it's a law that affects every other area of our life, but doesn't exclude finances. Proverbs 18.24 says, if you want friends, be friendly. That's seed time and harvest. Well, I have got no friends. Are you being friendly? No. Then you're not sowing seed for the harvest you want. This principle, listen, if you've, I've been... August, we're celebrating 29 years of marriage. I learned pretty quickly what I sow into my marriage can determine a lot of the harvests I get out of my marriage. It's seed time and harvest, a principle that God wants us to live by. Um, Okay, I'm pastoring someone, and they say to me, oh, no one ever encourages me. You know, Mr., Mr. Grumpy. No one ever encourages me. And I think they're looking for a pat on the back for me or they're there. But what I say to them, because I'm conscious of the law or the principle of seed time and harvest is, can I ask you a question? When's the last time you encouraged someone? Oh, I don't know. There's your problem. Next. Because you can't ignore the principle that God placed into motion and expect a harvest by not living by how he called you to live. And that affects our finances. Sowing and reaping isn't about your money. It's about your life. But it includes your finances. So it's a continued principle. Um, Again, verses are in your notes. Genesis 8.22 says that God spoke to Noah and said, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Notice which one's first. Not day or night, winter or summer, seed time and harvest. Galatians 6 verse 7. Don't kid yourself. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that he will reap. Sometimes we've got to look at the harvests in our life and ask ourselves a question. Am I sowing seeds that are producing these harvests? Right? Then it says in Luke 6, verse 38, this is Jesus' teaching. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use will be the measure that comes back to you. Again, principle, seed time and harvest. Want small harvest, plant small seed. You determine the measurement. You want a lot of encouragement? Then be super encouraging. You want people to be nice to you? Be nice to people. This is genius, right? You need more finances? So finances. Don't sit there and moan. Prepare the soil for the seed and let God do the rest. Now, another thing that we need to understand, the Bible speaks to us of the principle of the reality of something called seed kind. Now, when you talk about seed kind, this is found in Genesis 1, verse 11. And it basically means that every seed will bear fruit according to its kind. 
if you're nasty to people, nastiness can come back apart from the grace of people. What we sow, we reap according to the kind of the seed that we've sown. Now again, think about a farmer. If a farmer wants carrots, what seed does he sow? All right. So he doesn't sow cabbage seeds and then look shocked when he walks around the field, does he? Like, why have I got cabbages and not carrots? Because the seed bears fruit after its kind. You sowed for cabbages. Let's make sure we understand the seed that's coming from our life, consciously and unconsciously. You can read about those verses in Genesis 1 verse 11, where basically God institutes this system that the seed will bear fruit after its kind. Cabbages produce cabbages, carrots produce carrots. What you sow, you reap. God puts the control of our harvest into our hands. This is how it originated with Abraham before the law. Then you see a season where God leads the children of Israel through the wilderness and he cares for them like a mother sparrow or a mother eagle. But then he doesn't leave them in that season because God's plan for his people was that they would experience the blessing of their hand. Remember what we said in week one, that we're stewards, that now we know that God gives us the ability to earn wealth. But we have a confidence that our, our tithe is before him. Remember when tithe is given, it's received by man, but also by God. That's week one or week two. But also that we're sowing seed. We're not like farmers standing there going, where's my harvest? Where's my harvest? Why have I only got weeds when there's been no seed from your life? Now, seed like tithe really isn't about amount. It's about percentage. I know people that feel they have nothing and their seed is very small. That's wrong. Remember Jesus in the temple with the woman with two mites, that he saw the activity of the heart. Sometimes people don't sow because they don't think five pound is very much. Listen, when five pound meets another five pound meets another five pound meets another five pound, a lot of raindrops turn into an ocean. What we do is we're sowing seed knowing that God will be true to his principle. Everybody good? Give me a wave with your, your cardboard. Don't worry, winter is coming. <laughs> Why? Because long as the earth remains, summer and winter, day and night, seed time and harvest. All right. Now, <clears throat> what we need to understand is there's a key verse or set of verses that really help us to understand this really well. And they're spoken by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 12. Now I'm going to read these verses to you, then we're going to look at the key principles, or some of the key principles that Paul underlines. Remember this. I think they're going to come up on the screen, these ones. Remember this. <coughs> Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly... Stingy, mean, will also reap sparingly. Stingy, mean. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion or manipulation, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, 
you have all that you need. Don't you love that that doesn't say some? Some. He says, all times, all things for all you need. These are are great verses. You will abound, multiply, and increase in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their, uh, their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed, not tithe, seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase, multiply your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be, not might be, enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks that come back to God. Right, let me break this down with six simple thoughts. Number one, you determine the amount and the heart behind your giving. God doesn't. If you want to give with a nasty heart, that was your choice. That was your choice. Or you can give with a joyful heart. That's your choice. The amount you give, it's down to you because it's not your tithe. It's that which is beyond the tithe. Number two, giving should be a heart conviction, never manipulation. Whenever you hear people that are manipulating for finances, you should never give because you feel manipulated. In family church, I never want to manipulate anyone to give I just want to make you aware of kingdom principles. The choice remains yours. Never give when your arm feels twisted. Never give when you feel manipulated. Give by revelation, faith, and heart conviction. Give because God is speaking to your heart. Number three, God is able to respond in abundance. To respond would be enough, but abundance is really cool. Number four, God supplies seed to the one who intends to sow and desires to increase the size of your seed barn. Now, let's just get something straight. God's not a silly head, all right? Somebody say amen, please. If somebody's saying, I'm going to sow, give me seed, I'm going to sow, give me seed, but they don't mean it, God looks beyond their fickle words to the actual attitude of their heart And they're never going to see seed because God is not mocked. But when a person says, God, I want to become a sower, I really want to be a sower, and they mean it in their heart, God will bring seed into their life. They should never eat the seed because it's not bread, it's not provision, it's seed for tomorrow. God gives bread to eat today, and he gives us seed to sow for our tomorrow. If you mean business in being a sower, God is able to get seed to you and increase the size of your barn. Number five, enrichment returns in every way. When you sow, when you tithe and when you sow, it doesn't just come back as finances, even though we believe in the law of kind, a seed bears fruit according to its kind. It's amazing how God just can't stop being generous in other areas in the life of the one who sows. And number six, your obedience to be a sower actually results in praises being given to God when you sow correctly. 
Remember what Jesus taught, that when you sow, when you pray, when you fast, when you sow, to the very best that you can, don't let general public know what you're doing. Sometimes, most times, you have to involve the person you're giving to because of direct debits or different circumstances. But what you need to understand is this incredible moment that we want people to be praising God for our giving, not us. Success is when somebody turns around after you've blessed them or sown into them and they say, praise you, Jesus, you're incredible. You could turn around and say, well, what about me? What am I, chopped liver? No, you were the hose pipe. They're worshipping the tap. You were the hose pipe. God used you, but they're giving glory to the tap. It's always good for us to know these things. Here's another little nugget for nothing. There's always three stages to seed time and harvest, not two. Sometimes when people sow, they're like, well, where's my harvest? Well, it's only been 43 seconds. Give me a break. There's nothing in the Bible that says the time between the seed going to the soil and the harvest coming is this. In fact, if you sow a big seed, sometimes big seeds take a lot longer to grow than smaller ones. But what we understand and we place faith in is that it's three components, not two. Seed, time, harvest. So when I've sown my seed, I move into faith saying I don't know when, I don't know how, and I don't know who, but harvest is coming because seed is in the ground, but I don't determine the when. People walk away from the seed they've sown because of the timing. No, no, we sow, we reap, and we leave the rest to God. Here's another important thing. Sowing and reaping are not subject to natural conditions because they're not natural principles alone. Sowing and reaping is not subject to natural, natural things that are happening or conditions because they're not natural principles alone. They work in the natural, but they remain spiritual. Two examples of this, Isaac, Genesis 26. I love these verses, especially when we think of people today saying worldwide famine. It says when you read Genesis 26 in verse 1, and there was a famine in the land beside the famine that was in place from the days of Abraham. Double famine. But then it says, and Isaac sowed his seed in that land. Are you an idiot, Isaac? No, I'm a man of faith that knows that God isn't limited by natural conditions. He sowed his seed in that land of famine and it says he prospered continued prospering and became very prosperous that the Philistines began to envy him and blocked up his wells but God kept on letting the water flow God's not subject to the world's economy he brings us into a way of understanding that supersedes it if you'd read in Ecclesiastes 11 verses 4 to 6 he says there's a person who considers the clouds so doesn't reap what does that mean? There's a person that looks at the natural conditions and determines his sowing by the natural conditions. Yet because he determines the natural conditions, he never reaps because he doesn't step into the spiritual law or principle. These are all on your notes to go back and read. 
Generosity is a kingdom trait. Being generous is a kingdom trait. Being mean, holding back, is a worldly trait. I love the other, I believe it's a proverb, but it says there's one who sows and increases all the more. And there's one who holds back what is right and goes into lesser and lesser abundance. God wants us to be the one who's sowing and increasing all the more, not the one who's decreasing because he's holding back the seed that God provided to sow. There's a number of verses I've listed there in your notes if you go to the app on um, Proverbs that encourage generosity. A stingy man will get ever smaller in his world. A generous man, his world will open. There's one who gives and increases all the more. Have a bountiful eye, there's more verses there. Okay, there's a real relationship between us, money, heaven and earth. The things that we do with the resources, again, there's verses on the app for that. There's things that we do with our resources in this life that will have an effect in the life to come. Well, who was it that said, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth? Isn't treasure a natural commodity? Rather, store up for yourself treasure in heaven where thief can't steal and rust can't destroy. What's Jesus saying? Don't be this life-minded that you have no life or light of the eternity to come. You can use your resources and your money in this life to create echoes of things in the life to come. There's verses there, if you don't believe me, you can read about Lazarus and the rich man. You can read about Jesus saying, don't lay up treasures. But also in 1 Corinthians, where it says of a man that one day they will be saved, but as through fire. Isn't that an interesting statement? You read that in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 15. It says, a certain person would be saved, but as through fire. What does that mean? Well, imagine if you worked your whole life for you, and what you own, and what you should possess. And one day there's a fire in your house where everything is burnt, but you remain alive. You'd be really thankful that you remain alive, right? Oh, not many of you, sorry. If you wanted to die in the fire, I'm ever so sorry to annoy you. No, you would be ecstatic that you were alive, but you'd be conscious that everything that you'd lived for has been burnt away. The Bible speaks of straw and hay, gold and silver. But we can do things with our natural finances that means one day when we get to heaven, we won't just escape the fire of judgment because that comes through what Christ did for us on the cross. But also we can see things in heaven that are the result with things that we did on the earth with the seed, money, attitude, time, servanthood, serving, that we chose to sow in the natural soil of this life. All right, here's the key principle for this week. Closing it down now. As believers, we should always have seed in the ground. We should always have, we shouldn't treat it like a moment. Again, in Ecclesiastes, if you read those verses, it says, you sow here, you sow there, you sow seven, seven different ways, not knowing which way it will return to you, come back to you on the seas. I'm always looking for good soil. Not that I always have large seed, but I've always got a seed to sow. I'm always slipping something somewhere. That's not my tithe. My tithe was returned. That was the first thing that happened to my finances. 
But I'm constantly, I've got a number of givings going out of my life to different things that would be considered humanitarian, taking care of the poor, different countries. But I'm constantly walking around like, Lord, where's good soil? Where's good soil? I'm in the moment of an adventure at the moment where the Lord asked me to watch a seed and I'm watching what happens with it. And I'm not going to tell you what's going on, you're too nosy, but it's a lot of fun. Recently, the Lord said to me to sow a specific seed and watch what happens. I did. I, I, somebody gave me a seed. Actually, when I said, I'll do it, Lord, somebody came up and said, this is a seed God told me to give to you. You're not to spend it on yourself. You're to sow it somewhere else. And the journey started. I sowed it later that day. It came back a week later doubled I sowed it again it came back doubled it's worked in England and America the Lord wanted to encourage my heart this works this works add your faith to something that God placed into being for your benefit not your harm yes there may be a financial crisis looming on our nation but we need to understand that God has always been there in the midst of famine and financial crisis carrying his people by his grace and by his ways through the storm safe to the other side I cannot trust a Chancellor of the Exchequer with my life. I'm sorry, I can't trust a government. I believe in them and I honour them. I will trust God for the provision of my life. I will trust God for the provision of my family. I will take this into my own hands and say, actually, let every other person be proved a liar. Let God be true. His ways have worked for thousands of years. I'm not going to walk away from his ways. In fact, I'm going to discover them in a new way. All right, let me close with a couple of statements. Remember, this hasn't been about getting your money. This has been about bringing an education from a biblical lens to people wondering how they should handle their finances. Next week, we're going to move on. We're away from this series. It will remain online for those that want to go and see it. Download the app get the notes but to me it feels this morning that I'm releasing my responsibility because because the Bible says to me that I have to share the manifold wisdom of God with God's people hold nothing back even if some get offended and I really feel happy today that over the last three weeks I've told you everything I know from the word of God but it's your choice now what you choose to do The Bible clearly teaches us about how we should handle our finances in a kingdom way. But God leaves the choice with us. The same as salvation. God's done everything to save you, but he can't make you choose salvation. Giving, whether it's the tithe, the offering, should be done with persuasion, obedience, and faith. So as believers... We should handle our finances through any season, especially a season called financial crisis, doing three things. Number one, we see ourselves as stewards of what we have, not owners, knowing that every good thing in our life was entrusted to us by him. Number two, we live to honor him with the tithe, even if we decide to start the root of tithing. We, we purpose, we want to return the first fruits to the one they belong to and number three 
we choose to live a lifestyle of sowing and reaping and enjoying harvests in our life because we're always putting seed in the ground. Those three things, I believe, are the, the, um, the key keystones or cornerstones of understanding the kingdom economy. And again, I'm just going to challenge you just to pray them through. Read the notes. See if the Holy Spirit nudges something in your life. Start a journey back to correcting things. Let God be the center of your finances and the center of every part of your life. Well, last week we taught on tithing and six people gave their lives to Jesus. Blows my mind. I went home, I was driving home and I I said to Jean, I I said, I I preach a gospel where I take people to the foot of the cross and one person might respond. And then I preach on, this is what you do with 10% of your money and six people give their lives to Jesus. I'm like, maybe I should just preach on tithing every week. That was humor. I'm not really going to do that. But you know, there's an anointing in the room. Presence of God is in the room been here since we started to praise and maybe your heart is being stirred by God's presence right now and you say I need to belong to Jesus I've never given my life to Jesus I've never allowed him to save me Jesus 2,000 years ago did everything on the cross and evidenced it was done correctly by his resurrection which was the receipt of heaven that God had received his payment to save every person but believes and places faith in him but he can't make us believe. Can we just pray this prayer as we close today? I want to give an opportunity to someone that maybe has never given their life to Jesus or needs to return their life to Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sowed a seed on the earth and that seed fell to the ground and died but then rose again so that there could be a harvest of many seeds. Jesus, you gave your life as a seed that I could know the harvest of salvation. You gave your life so that I could know it. I believe in you, Jesus. Save me, Saviour. Forgive my sins. Give me a brand new beginning. Amen. Just my every eyes closed, every head's bowed. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you don't know if you belong to him or not, maybe you did and you need to come back. When I count to three, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand as a simple response. One, two, three. God bless you. I see that hand over there. That's awesome. Young man here, got his hand lifted up, praise God. A young lady over there, young man here. Anyone else you say, me too? Oh, I've got somebody there at the back, praise the Lord, that's incredible. Is there a fourth person? And you say, me too, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. A lady here, young man here, someone at the back there. Father, I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you that right now each of these people experience your mercy and for the rest of their lives they're going to experience your grace. 
thank you for their salvation. Thank you that right now they pass from death to life. They're yours forever. Amen, amen, amen. Could somebody get excited with me about three people responding to Jesus?